committed to sharing cultural diversity through food. Welcome to El Paso Food Voices. Welcome, I'm your host, Laura May Heredia, for today's episode. El Paso Food Voices explores El Paso, Texas's food landscape by gathering food-based stories from El Paso's residents. El Paso Food Voices offers a taste of a living history that speaks of ethnic and racial cross-cultural connections. If we are what we eat, we are committed to highlighting the food-based culture and history of the city. In this spirit, let's begin our conversation on how photographers choose to include or exclude food in photography with our guest, Dino Kiecki. What can you tell me about yourself and your experiences? Well, Laura, I, uh, I'm from El Paso. I was born and raised here. In fact, I, I uh, grew up in the Sunset Heights area and not far from UTEP. And I decided at a very young age I wanted to be a journalist. There was no doubt in my mind that that was going to be my career choice. And I was fortunate enough to be able to live my dream. Uh, my first job was at the El Paso Herald Post. Uh, we had an afternoon paper here for a number of years. And I started my career there as a police bureau reporter, chasing ambulances and car wrecks and, and some of the nasty things sometimes people do to each other. I got to report about all that. And uh, one day the phone rang. And it was the city editor of the Austin American Statesman. And uh, he said he wanted a bilingual police bureau reporter if I was interested. And I had just graduated from UTEP. And I said, you bet. I had enjoyed my time in El Paso uh, in my youth and as a student here at UTEP, but it was time to leave town and experience the world a little bit. So I had the good fortune of working not only at the Austin American States, but after that conversation, I also worked at the San Antonio Express News. I've also worked at a newspaper in Hong Kong. I was there before the change over to the Chinese government. Um, I also worked at the Tucson Citizen. I worked for the Associated Press for five years based in Dallas. And I even got to work at the El Paso Times in the latter part of my career, right before I came to be a professor of practice at UTEP. Oh, wow. That's interesting. What, uh, so what uh, event inspired you to become a journalist? Oh, I wanted to change the world. Every journalist comes in with that idea. We all want to change the world. And my idea was that while I personally did not have the power to change it, that by reporting about the conditions of the world, it would elicit change by the people who could promote the change. That was my thinking. Once in a while, I got it right, but it didn't work that way every day. So reflecting on your history of taking photographs, in particular those featuring El Paso, Ciudad Juarez, how often do you or do you incorporate the idea of food or food itself? Food is essential in all photography. In fact, there is a segment in one of my photography classes in which there's a week-long discussion about food and about how to photograph food. And the intent in the class is not quite as deep as the conversation we're having now, but it is about the importance of food and the necessary um, appeal of food. It's life-sustaining. And in the class, what we talk about is how to photograph food and make it as attractive as possible. Because photographing food is not an easy thing to do. It is really easy to make food look unappealing if you don't get it just right. With respect to the lighting, maybe the ambiance, maybe the food itself, the presentation. So we make sure that the students understand not only the need for food, but the need for photographing it correctly. So that's an important part. But right now, food is really essential in the news because we have a lot of migrants along the bridge on the Juarez side and under the bridge who are trying to who are trying to seek asylum in the U.S. And they got here with, with nothing but with the clothes on their backs. They have no food. So there are a number of charitable organizations who are providing them with food. 
So that is one more place where food is essential to the point that is life-sustaining in a way that you and I cannot understand. These are people who don't have access to food because they have no money. And so they are being provided for food, with food. And photography is important because we need to tell their story. Do you ever intentionally exclude food to make a point about the absence of food in people's lives within your photography? I don't recall ever either including or excluding for the purpose of, of making a point. I try to capture the moment in this as candid a way as possible and let the story evolve by itself and let the reader or the viewer make their own conclusion. When I think about the absence of food in people's lives, four particular topics come to mind. Food distribution, poverty, war, and famine. One could imagine the, that photographers in third world countries might have more opportunities to capture images that illustrate these issues. How might a photographer go about illustrating the reality of these circumstances in a first world context? Well, that's an interesting question, but I have a relatively easy answer. Think of all the food that is farmed both in South Texas, even in this part of Texas and in California, the lettuce, the strawberries, the broccoli, the, the pistachios, everything that is grown in so many areas that we are familiar with that is frequently harvested by people of Hispanic extraction. You talk about amazing opportunities for photography. There you go. And there's a tremendous shortage of people to actually pick some of that food. So in any, many cases, there is food spoiling on the vine. That also lends itself to amazing photographic experiences and telling the story about how essential food is. And the fact is that despite the fact that there's an overabundance of food in this country, there also is an overabundance of waste of food in this country. Sometimes because of that, sometimes because people aren't eating everything on their plate, et cetera. But there are so many opportunities to capture food in the context you're discussing in a first world environment. So our first topic is food and photography as far as food distribution goes. As everyday consumers, we fail to acknowledge food distribution in relation to its processes, which include the growers, pickers, and transporters. In a photograph taken from the Altman collections at the El Paso Public Library, Otis A. Altman captures a farm worker, most likely a bracero, picking a crop from a farm in El Paso, Texas. This image brings to mind the topic of food distribution. What does this image seem to suggest to you about food distribution? Food distribution includes a very long chain that we sometimes are forgetful of how it is that it got to our table, how it got to our refrigerator. Um, food distribution starts in the fields. It starts in the fields of people who, with people who are picking food by the bushel and are being paid oftentimes on a piecemeal basis and are sometimes are paying very, very, being paid very poorly. That's where it all begins. It begins with the collection of that food that months earlier had been seeded. And it begins with the people who have to often break their back to give us the food that we want to be on our table. That's where the distribution process begins. And regrettably, we are sometimes unaware of that. Uh, food does not come to us or it is not, it is not available uh, in the fields in a little plastic container the way it is when we go to the grocery store. Somebody had to put it there and there's a lot of steps along that process. And I think that there's a lack of awareness of exactly how it is that it got from where it began to when it got to our refrigerator in the vegetable bin. And I think that those are opportunities for us to tell a story. And I'm not sure that we're telling that story as completely or as often as we should. So what is significant uh, about showing food in its raw form, uh, like in the fields or in its natural environment, as opposed to like a supermarket? It can be both educational for the people who are unaware of it. And for the people who are aware of it, it will remind them where it came from. 
For example, this part of the country grows a great deal of pecans and a great deal of cotton. Some of the finest cotton in the world is grown right here. And people are unaware of it. This is not the only place where you can get good Pima cotton, but it's one of the places, one of the few places where you get the level of quality that we get. How did it get there? How did the Pima cotton get into the shirt that I'm wearing today, for example? Well, somebody had to pick it. And if it wasn't picked manually, somebody had to drive the cotton gin that picked up the cotton in the uh, in the truck and that was eventually loaded up into the back of a, of a cotton gin. And somebody had to do that work, that manual labor. It, the, my shirt would just come out of theater. It's not synthetic. It's cotton. Where'd that come from? Pecans. Who are the people that work in the pecan fields in between the El Paso and Las Cruces state line? That's a lot of work somebody has to do. But we're not aware of it. It didn't come in plastic bags the way it shows up at the Albertsons. You know, somebody had to do it for us. Somebody along the way, and it began very early in the supply chain. As a photographer, how would you compose an image that captures the different relationship a farm worker might have towards food versus a consumer who only goes to the grocery store? I would juxtapose the images in a photo essay that maybe would, would continue the food distribution process from beginning all the way to the end. I wouldn't stage any photos, but you know what? You don't need to stage any photos. There are so many great photos that you could capture simply by being there and photographing everything from beginning to end. That's the way that I would do it. I would just juxtapose them, everything in a photo slideshow, in a photo essay, and let people see how it is that it all happens. I would maybe put the slideshow together chronologically so that people can see when, when the food first goes to seed, when it grows, when it's harvested, and so on. To the point that it gets the, the little plastic, uh, the little plastic uh, cup that I talked about that ends up in your vegetable bin. But there is a lot of there are a lot of opportunities there to show for the readers and for the viewers exactly what is the process. I think people are unaware. People are unaware, or they have forgotten how it is that it got there. So you think it's more significant to show it in chronological order rather than reverse chronological order? You know, I'd have to think about it, but I think beginning to end, alpha to omega, sometimes is very effective. But I would like to see maybe a series of photographs and determine how it would be best shown. I don't know. I'd have to think about it a little bit, but my sense is beginning to end might be, might be the best. Okay. For topic number three, we're going to be talking about food and photography as far as poverty. So poverty is one of the most common social issues people face on a daily basis, both in first world and third world countries. In a photo featured in Images in America, African-Americans in El Paso, Dorothea Lange in 1938 shows a woman cooking a meal for her family outside of El Paso because many African-Americans were relegated to low-paying jobs. They often moved in with family or became transients for a time before they could afford a home. In this photo, an African-American woman is shown cooking on a single cast iron pan over a stove made of stones surrounding what we'd assume are a few pieces of wooden coals. What does the composition of this photograph say to you about food in relation to social issues of class, gender, race in El Paso during the 1930s? Sure. Tells me a number of things. One, the need. Food is essential. We cannot live without food. The image that you've shown us here from, from Dorothea, Dorothea is just an amazing image about a woman who looks like she is in a third world country. And frankly, it looks like the El Paso Desert. I can almost see the, uh, the yucca plants in the background in this, in this black and white photo that you provided. Um, these people suffered a lot. These people had a great deal of hardship in El Paso in the 1930s. Uh, if you look hard enough, I've, I understand that there are still some signs that are mildly painted over, but still, you can still see the relics of where, 
where people who are African-American could not drink from certain water fountains. Life was tough in the 1930s in El Paso. It was not easy for everybody. It was not the way it is now. And in the photograph you're depicting here, this woman is, is looks like she's just cooking over, over some kind of little itty-bitty fire that she's created. Uh, she's not wearing really substantive shoes of any sort. And um, life is really tough, as you depict in this photo. And it shows the essential elements of food. It also shows how timely it is in the sense that this is like a Model T or some kind of car in the background. So it really shows us the time when this occurred. Um, this is not taking place in El Paso the way it used to, thank goodness. Although there still are colonias in El Paso where people are living in conditions that are less than ideal. But think of what's going on, for example, right now in Venezuela where the store shelves are empty, where money is virtually worthless and people are starving because conditions there are just so averse to everything that's going on. The political climate there is horrible. You know, they're not necessarily our neighbor, but they aren't, they aren't that far away either. There are conditions in Mexico that are less than ideal, just across the border from us. There are situations probably very much akin to what we're talking about here. From my office at UTEP, I can see less than agreeable houses that people are living in. So these conditions, while in El Paso may not exist or at least nowhere near the numbers that they did in the 1930s, um, there probably still are people who are very impoverished and are living uh, hand to mouth. Our neighbors, not very far away from us, are living a very difficult existence that sometimes we're unaware of or we ignore. Thank you for joining us today at El Paso Food Voices. If you're interested in learning more about how food is used in photography pertaining to famine, poverty, and war, you can visit the El Paso Holocaust Museum located on 715 North Oregon Street, El Paso, Texas, 79902. You can visit their official website, elpasoholocaustmuseum.org, or visit their Facebook page, El Paso Holocaust Museum and Study Center. Some of their collections capture the role food played during the Holocaust. Let's get back with our guest, Dino Kiecki. The necessity to survive leads people to be creative when it comes to obtaining and preparing resources like food. How is this creativity born out of necessity portrayed in this photograph? And have you taken any that are similar? No, I have not taken anything that is similar to this, but I am thinking very seriously of putting together a an afternoon or maybe even an early morning and going down to the bridge in Juarez where all those poor people are camped out and are waiting for handouts as they wait for their turn in the line for asylum in the U.S. That would present the kind of photo essay that I think needs to be told, story that needs to be told, and a, show, a story that needs to be shown so that people are aware that not far from our doorsteps, people are suffering, and food is just critical for those folks, and they're not getting it. So you said that the extent is not as bad as it was in the 1930s, but what conclusions might a contemporary day El Paso Ciudad Juarez audience draw from this photograph? Well, what I would conclude from this photograph is that the situation in El Paso is far, far better than it ever was. We are in a first world country. We're very fortunate to live here. But it hasn't been that long that the colonias were a place where people couldn't get running water. They had no sewage. And in many cases, they had to either bring in giant bottles of water or truck water in. And water is an essential food element. And they weren't getting that. And thanks to the generosity of a lot of people and the fact that we are in a lot more uh, modern times than we were even in the 1980s when colonials were still rampant, people are getting running water or at least they have access to water that they didn't have before. 
So that's important. But what is also taking place is that our neighbors just to the south and to the west of us in Juarez, they aren't so fortunate. You know, let's not ignore the fact that Mexico is still a third world country in many aspects. And a lot of that is evident just across the river from us, or as I like to say, across El Charco. You know, it's only a river half the time. Um, and a lot of this still exists to a great degree uh, as we're talking about this. Do you think that a photo can speak about our past, present, and future simultaneously? Yes, I do. A photograph encapsulates time. It is a picture in time that will be able to move people in ways that they may not be aware of otherwise. Uh, the motion picture is a wonderful thing, but there's something that is lost when there is motion that a photograph is just so much more powerful. And I'll give you one example. This is one I was thinking of as I was on my way over here. There's a famous photograph by Robert Kappa, who was a photographer in the 30s. I think it was the 30s. If my dates are wrong, forgive me. But he captured this image of a soldier during the Spanish Civil War right as the bullet penetrated his body. And at that precise moment, you can see the anguish on his face as he is starting to fall while he still has a rifle in his hand. If that had been captured by a motion picture camera, it would have been dramatic. It would have been impactful. It would have been terrific. It would have been a terrific sequence of images. But this one image encapsulates the suffering and the hell that war is. It's a great image and it speaks to the current, past, and present, just like you were talking about. That's just one of the many images. The, the pictures by Dorothea Lang are indicative of the, the past, the present, and the future if we don't watch what we're doing. Right now, California is up in flames. Let us not forget that California is one of the biggest food producers, not only in this country, but on the globe. They're having a pretty hard time. Now, I don't have a sense yet for how much damage there is in the fields because of the wildfires, but it wouldn't surprise me if there is some damage and we start to see food prices go up if that damage has, if those fires have reached some of the agricultural areas in the California area. That'd be terrible. I agree, yes. So why is it important photographically to show the effects of poverty, specifically in relation to food? We're very fortunate in this country. We get our chicken breasts on a styrofoam plate covered in plastic, and we don't have to worry about how difficult it was for it to get from the farm to us. We have uh, lost track of the difficulty it is to be a farmer and what their lives may be like. Um, a lot of those people do it uh, not only to make a living, but they barely make a living. Uh, to some degree, they may even be altruistic in their approach to farming. Um, so I think it is important for us to remind ourselves periodically about exactly what it took to get food on our tables. I think that's essential. I agree. Okay. Uh, we're going to move into our fourth topic, which is food and photography dealing with war. So war affects not only the soldiers actively participating in the conflict, but entire families, communities, and countries as a whole. Otis A. Altman, in another photograph, captures soldiers with empty bowls as they wait in line to receive food rations. From your perspective as a journalist and photographer, what does Altman's composition say about the relationship between war and food? Sure. Lots of times people are fighting because of food. Many times because there is a war, a lot of people who are victims of that war end up with no food. Think of some of the tent cities that you have seen along the Turkish border or in Ethiopia or especially in places like Syria where people have are trying to evacuate and have nowhere to go and no way to get there. Those people are starving. 
it is essential for them that they get food and everybody is hungry, they're impoverished, and the situation is just dire for a lot of those people. Famine and war are twin sisters, I hate to say it, but they are. It is hard to imagine a war where people are not starving. Or sometimes, what is it that competing armies do against each other sometimes? They burn the fields. That's one of the very first things they do to smoke out the people, and not only that, but to get them to leave. If the food supply is destroyed, people have to leave. The land goes to the victor. That happens a lot, and people are starving. How many pictures have you seen of people who are little kids, especially, who are dying, who can't get a meal? You can see their ribs. Famine and war are, like I said, they're, they're the relationship between the two, you can't separate them. You just can't. No, I agree. If a photographer is trying to show the absence of food and chooses to just show empty bowls in relation to a photographer who's trying to show food in its abundance, mm -hmm. how, do, how do you think that works? Or do you think it's efficient? Um, I think that that's a very um, artistic way of displaying famine, empty bowls, et cetera, and all that. But there's nothing more effective than showing people. To me, the essence of photography is about people. Um, I like architectural photography. I like landscape photography a great deal. I like all those kinds of photography. But there is nothing like depicting people's faces, their reactions, and the environment in which they live. And if you want to really personify in a photo the notion of hunger, show the people. Show the people and get the notion across as to how it is that people are suffering because of a lack of food. You know, because food is so readily available sometimes, especially in this country for all of us, thank goodness, I've never been, I've never been hungry. Um, and because we never have been hungry, we lose sight of the fact that there are a lot of people who are. Food is not as accessible across the globe as it is here. Like I mentioned earlier in Venezuela, store shows are empty. My wife has proven there was a time in the 80s when money was virtually worthless and the store shelves were empty. You couldn't get food on the store shelves for people to buy with the money they had that was virtually worthless. Those are our neighbors just to the south of us. That's not that far away, you know? And um, some of these countries are, are very close to starvation if they're not already there. Countries like Venezuela. And I question myself and wonder, how can a country be so oil rich and yet have people that are so hungry? Those two ideas to me are are not are not uh, they're 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 incompatible to me. I don't understand how that can occur. So we've been able to have a short discussion about how photographers capture the lack of food through historical moments, as we have seen in Altman's and Lange's photos. In our present historical moment, people living in the El Paso border area are still experiencing food shortages, which lead to food insecurities. How can the absence of food in people's lives be captured through the lens of a camera? Sure, there's a food bank here in El Paso, as there is, as there are in most major cities in Texas. Um, our unemployment rate is hovering around 3.5%, 4%, maybe a shade higher in El Paso. Um, but just because the unemployment rate is not uh, very low, I mean, it is very low, and people, most everybody has a job, that doesn't mean there aren't people who aren't struggling a little bit or making, are having to make ends meet by having more than one job or two jobs. As a result, places like the food bank come in handy and they help people supplement their cupboard. It is important that people are aware of the fact that these food banks exist, that people contribute to food banks so that people who have trouble putting food on the table have access to that. How do you depict that photographically? Just go there and see people as they're packing up boxes with canned food. 
people that you would never expect. People look like you and me who are having trouble making ends meet and are having to rely on places like the food bank to help them supplement the food for their family. So how would you compose a photo of, uh, let's say, an American citizen versus an immigrant or a refugee through your camera to like represent these social issues? Cameras are a powerful tool. And because they are so powerful, they can depict things simply as they are. I am never a fan of taking photos that are necessarily staged in any way. But I think that the environment that you're seeing nowadays as a result of the fact that some people are hungry, simply taking pictures of them around the lunch table, the dinner table, the breakfast nook, um, I think that you can depict um, their, their conditions by simply displaying what it is that their lives are like. I don't think that you have to go to any extreme measures to stage anything. You can simply capture life as it is, and you'll be able to depict for your viewers, your readers, exactly what it is that the experience people are having. So we're going to move into food and photography and famine. So first world and third world countries experience famine in varying degrees from homelessness to mass starvation. Famine can be associated with the three topics we previously discussed, food distribution, poverty, and war. While I did not find an image that reflects famine in the El Paso border area, I want to discuss why famine is important to capture photographically and how such images can reflect the impacts of this social issue. So what is significant about whether a photographer chooses to include or exclude food within his or her photographs when reflecting a social issue that stresses the lack of food or water for survival? Sure. We don't have to go very far. I'm sure you've heard, because it's been in the news a whole lot, the uh, number of homeless people that live in the Los Angeles and San Francisco areas. There are a large number of them who live there. In fact, I'm told that under the bridge in Austin, under I-35, near the 6th Street area, there are a lot of people who have not congregated there and are basically homeless, and they're living in tents, they're living on cardboard boxes, they're living in sleeping bags. So much so that this has captured the attention of the governor who wants to clean it up, but I'm not sure that a solution has been provided for these people, especially in a place where affordable housing is very difficult. Um, these people are hungry. These people are hungry, and if you uh, try to spend a few minutes with them, you'll find out that finding food is a day-to-day -day existence, and maybe it's only one meal per day. So there are some issues in this country, despite the fact that we are about as first world as you can get. There are some places where people are hungry and there is famine is a strong word, but maybe famine is the right word for dealing with some of these pictures, some of these people. How do you capture this photographically? Just be there. Be there at sunset when people are starting to pack up and zip up their sleeping bags and trying to get a good night's sleep with maybe nothing in their stomachs. And I think that maybe caption photographic is not the only way. I think you need some text, some context to go along with the photo and maybe a good cut line, what we call a copy block, a couple of sentences that describe what is it is taking place. Often ain't that far away. It's just down the road from us on I-10 and then you take uh, US-290. San Antonio also has some people who are homeless, a good number of them. I haven't seen a whole lot here in El Paso, but as I mentioned earlier, several times just across the border. Under the bridge and on the bridge in Juarez, there are people there who are hungry, who are trying to seek asylum and get across. And because of bureaucratic issues, they're at the end of the line. Those people are hungry. So have you photographed any of these um, social issues we've discussed uh, in Juarez? 
No, but prior to your asking me to participate in this discussion, um, I had arranged to take a photo essay in the Juarez area. I'm going to go to a couple of places. I'm going to go to the Placita, right in front of the Catedral in Juarez, where there is a large number of people who are, um, who are not doing well. There's a lot of revelry there. There's a lot of fun, a lot of vendors, people selling tacos, selling menudo. And then there are a lot of people there who are holding out their hands, seeking donations, trying to get some money for food. I want to capture some of that photographically in a photo essay. And then on the way back from that trip, I want to stop by the bridge and I want to try to capture as much of that as I can as possible. I want to make sure that the photos are not exploitive by any means. But at the same time, I want to also make sure that they are journalistic and tell the story. So what tips would you give your students or future photographers who want to capture the social issues we've discussed during this podcast? The first thing they have to do is care. That's the first thing. They have to care about the issue, know what the issue is, have a good sense for what the issues are regarding uh, whatever it is that they want to photograph. But then they also have to make sure that they don't get involved. This is what I mean by that. Two weeks ago, there was an event called Hugs Not Walls um, that united families from both El Paso and from Juarez it, right, right by the Rio Grande in the, in the culvert, very close to the Paso del Nota Bridge. What I mean by not getting involved is that you are there to report the facts, to report the event, and you have to make sure that you keep a veneer up, maybe even a thin veneer, but a veneer nonetheless, so that you can report on the issue that you're talking about, that you're photographically challenged, that you are photographically responsible for covering, but not get involved to the point that there are tears streaming down your cheeks. You have to maintain a comfortable distance, but nonetheless be engaged, but not involved. And that's a very difficult line to have. It's hard not to cross that line. When I was photographing Hugs Not Walls, I had to make sure that I had the camera up to my eye at all times because if I'd put the camera down by my waist long enough, I might have gotten involved. It was difficult not to get involved when you saw the emotion on people's faces. But my job was to capture that emotion. And some of the photos are some of the best I've ever taken. But it was, it was merely capturing what people were doing. Nothing was staged. Everything was entirely natural and candid. And the photos told the story. So as we draw to the end of our podcast, is there anything else you'd like to add about the interconnection between food photography and the El Paso border area based on photographs you've taken? Sure. First thing, open your eyes and capture what you see. Do it responsibly, do it politely, and do it with discretion. It is important that you understand that there are people who are not at their best in many ways, it's not their best appearance. Their livelihood is not the best. They might have had a better livelihood prior. And here they are maybe in a food line waiting for a handout. Who knows? What I mean by discretion is that um, I try to ask permission whenever I can. And I'll shoot three, four photos. I nod thank you and I walk away. To sit there with a camera and let, let yourself shoot 20, 30 photos of the same person who is suffering and is already in a situation where they recognize that they're not at their best, that would be exploitive. Journalistic would be just a couple of pictures and you walk away. And that is one of the things that I tell my students as I try to show them street photography, which is one of the most basest elements of photography at all. Shooting what happens on the street in the most candid way possible. Shooting car wrecks, fires, protests, people who are suffering. 
do it discreetly, do it politely, and you walk away. So we want to thank you one more time for sharing your knowledge on how food is used in photography, a fascinating food-based topic. So thank you, Dino Kiecki. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate having been here. El Paso Food Voices was created by Meredith E. Abarca, professor of food studies and literature at the University of Texas at El Paso. Produced by Adrian Mesa from UTEP's Creative Studios. Music composed by Jake Jacobs. To learn more about how food practices, memories, and stories shape a city's history, culture, and its character, please visit us at El Paso Food Voices. Thank you. Thank you.